0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do at officehours.global, our first hours general discussion about media production. And our second hour is usually something we want to spend a little bit more time on. And today, we have the team from Feather, the 3D sketchbook here, and we're really excited to show it off um, or, ha- or have them show it off. Uh, we saw this at Seagraph. Uh, we hadn't seen it before, and uh, it's just an amazing tool on, for, for the iPad. And uh, so they'll, they'll be here in the second hour to show it off, and we're going to be really excited to walk through it so definitely take a look at it if you can before the show and if you've got questions go ahead and throw those in for the second hour otherwise uh you can use this uh to um that thing right there you can use that qr code or you just go to uh, ask and there you can ask questions um those will you don't have to log in you don't have to do anything else and it works 24 7 uh throw your questions in there and uh, we'll work on getting them into the show let's go ahead and jump to the first question mitch what do we have
1: Thank you, Alex. Matthias Utila from Helsinki, Finland has our first question. Mimo Live supports direct control of Blackmagic Design ATEM switchers. How would you use the hardware and software mixers together? Well, there's a couple of
0: different ways that you can look at that. Um, uh, uh, I think that one of the ways is if you want to have graphics and streaming from MIMO Live. So, so basically what you can do is you could be switching all your, switch, your, your raw inputs. Then that program feed is going to go out to MIMO where you can have animated lower thirds and even process some of that differently. And MIMO can also then stream and even record. So it's probably the most common use for MIMO Live uh, with an ATEM switcher. Next question.
1: Andy Kokendorfer from Vieira, Florida, asking, what are the risks in using Bluetooth for a mic on Zoom? I would like to dissuade folks from using Bluetooth mics with a list of risks. Thanks.
2: i go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, the list of risks. You're in 2.4 gigahertz, which is, of course, overcrowded spectrum. So you're competing with everything that has a... uh, You know wi-fi internet of things in your house plus uh you're usually battery powered if you're on a bluetooth microphone which means that you never know when that battery is going to run out because a lot of times the battery metering is not accurate or not even available so there's that and if it runs out in the middle of the show it's difficult to replace those batteries or recharge them because hey if unless you've got a spare hanging on that's why there's three good reasons not to use a bluetooth microphone or headset
1: go mitchell yeah, I'll add to that list. Uh, Bluetooth doesn't have a very great range. It's only got a range of about 20 feet, if that. And um, the quality of audio on Bluetooth is limited. So you've got those two things working against
3: you. Go okay, ahead, Chris. I think the biggest fear of relying on Bluetooth for a call is the fact that you something could could come into its sphere of influence that tries to grab it. I know that um, I have, on occasion, used my Bluetooth headsets because they're super convenient. And why wouldn't you want to do something that was super convenient? I'm trying to reach in my pocket here, but I would fiddle with the case, and I open the case, and all of a sudden, things like like magic starts to happen. You know that that it just works works magic. And, you know, like a phone could take it away from the phone call. But I think I think the, the overriding principle that you have to, and Alex says this, uh, what is it you say? Television is either easy to make or easy to watch, but it can't be both. All content. And, <laughs> all content, yeah. And so there's a lot of times where we want to do what's easy for us, but that doesn't necessarily translate into a good experience for the other people. Um, I had. A, I was on a call with a client, a client I very highly respect. I've worked with her for decades. And at the end of the call, I, I said, hey, could, could you hang on for a couple of minutes? I'd like to talk to you privately. And she did. And I said, I want. I just wanted to let you know, I mean, you know how I feel about you. I, I highly respect you. I couldn't understand about a third of what you said during that call. She's like, what? And she, she had decided to dial into a Zoom call with her phone. And I said, here, I recorded some of it, listen. And I hit play and she was like, oh my God, I had no idea. And I said, yeah, it's an awful experience on our end. You know, I'm not going to just, you know, call you out in in front of a bunch of people, but she goes, I'll rethink that. Thank you. So it plays to the... It might be easy for you, but it could be a really bad experience for the other people. I wish it was bomb proof. I wish they made it AirPods Ultra, <laughs> whatever, you know, whatever it was, whatever it would be called. But it's I wouldn't lean on it for sure. Go ahead, uh, Jason.
4: Sadly, AirPods do a really good job, and that doesn't mean that they're perfect. I'd say the two main reasons are there isn't always a connection. There isn't a persistent connection specifically with a Bluetooth microphone and the device, uh, which means you can end up with, yeah, disconnection, but more importantly, a little bit of lag if it has to reestablish that connection. And then building on that, the second part of it is that the sync, the sync is sometimes pretty terrible because of that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean I think the 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 big thing for for me is just that I've tried to find a high quality Bluetooth headset. The closest that I've come, which is not by by no means a a um silver bullet, are these open comms with this boom mic. This is the highest quality one that 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 I found so far. And this is having someone listen, as Chris was talking about, on the other end of this conversation to make sure that it sounds as good as it can. And we went through many, many, many ones. It's mostly my biggest complaint about Bluetooth is that the mics are cheap. <laughs> like, you know, if someone made a really high quality one and I could put my phone in my pocket, I'd probably use it, um, but not, I wouldn't use it if I was se- seated. And mostly, and the number one thing that I do is I never, ever pair my Bluetooth headsets to anything other than my phone. Like, like you know, like I never, it's one, there's one phone and these Bluetooth headsets, they pair to them. Um, if I have a different phone, I have a different Bluetooth headset for it. And the reason is exactly what was said before, it'll jump. It'll go from, you'll, you'll pick it up, and suddenly it belongs to some other device. So those are the things that I, you know, those are the biggest complaints that I have.
1: Uh, next question. From Alton Christensen of New York, New York. What's the best way to dispose of videotapes, TV cam, 1-inch, Umatic D1, uh, that have been properly
2: archived and degaussed? Now go ahead, Courtney eBay, sell them on eBay, because there are collectors out there, since you can't find any of these tapes anymore from original manufacturers, uh, that collect uh, those types of machines and uh, repair them and get them working again just for the heck of it, and they're desperate for tapes. So check eBay, either that or build a large domino layout using all those pneumatic uh, tapes that would be interesting. Go ahead, Mitchell. Uh, they're
1: building a broadcast, national broadcast museum in Pittsburgh, and they probably could use them. Really in Pittsburgh? In Pittsburgh, uh, right near the garage that the uh, first KDKA transmitter was built. That's Saxonburg.
0: So, so the um, the, uh, the the uh, well, that's where the antenna was. So they, they they I used to live right outside of Pittsburgh. Saxonburg is like ten minutes away. My grandfather actually picked up the first uh, commercial broadcast from KDKA with his crystal radio set that he built from scratch. So the political uh, return. The, um, the, I don't, it'd be interesting to see where they, they consider KDK, but the antenna itself was outside of Saxonburg, and you, you can tell because there's a sign when you drive past it. This is the original KDKA, location of the KDKA antenna. Um, anyway, it'd be, I'm really fascinated by that, especially if it's in Saxonburg. Um, but if it's in mm-hmm. Pittsburgh, that's great. I mean, I, that's awesome. So I'm pretty excited about that. Maybe we'll get them on and have them talk about it. And do you know when it's going to open?
1: Uh, they're just now getting approvals, and they're going to start building, so maybe a year or two.
0: Okay, so it's still still a little ways out. That's awesome. All right, next question.
1: Cindy Drozda from Erie, Colorado. I have a Panasonic G9 Micro Four Thirds camera that I use for video looking at a Leica DG Vario Elmarit. Merit twelve to sixty millimeter versus a Lumix G Vario twelve to sixty, the Leica costs double what the Lumix does. What's the difference between these two manufacturers' lenses?
0: Yeah, the the big thing is is that you. um, Well, number one is that I. I guess the question is: Are they motorized? Um, Is that something you can do remotely, or is it something you're going to have to uh, grab onto um, and and do manually? Typically, the difference between Leica lens uh, glass and other people's glass is the quality of you know it, it usually you'll notice that the leica lenses are a lot heavier there's a lot more glass that they're going through and it's much higher quality uh, glass than what you're going to see with um you know some of the less expensive stuff um look at the f-stop um so you have the zoom uh, amounts there but look at the f-stop is it a 2.8 1.8 when a zoom generally won't go below 1, 2.8 um and um and then the if or is it like a four or or something like that and that'll also tell you kind of the quality that it expects to work inside of go ahead chris
3: My father was a photographer, he liked to think of himself as a photographer, he wasn't. He had Leica cameras, loved his Leica cameras, dropped a Leica into the Mississippi River once and dove in after it and saved it and salvaged it. Uh, My mother was the artist and my father would take these technically perfect pictures with his Leica cameras and my mother would look at him and say, Tom, why is there a pole coming out of his head? they were exposed right they were focused right the the f-stop and everything was perfect but it was anyway i I think every time i hear like i think of that um agreed check the lenses make sure you like the lenses and and the thing about especially modern day cameras is do they actually interface and integrate with all the other stuff that you need them to work with go ahead mitchell
1: this is sort of a perspective comment but um they just announced uh, a new set of Cook lenses, which are some of the best lenses made. They're primes for about $50,000. They're SP3s and uh, they're based on other Cook uh, 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 Pan- Panoptic, I think. I'm trying to think of the term uh, lenses. But here's the thing they don't have any electronics in them. So the uh, as good as the lenses are, they don't have uh, autofocus. They don't have the ability to communicate with the camera body. So I would check that on the like it just to make sure you know what you're giving up to get great optics. Next question. Next question in from Jack Rupel from Breckenridge, Colorado. Anybody have links to LUTs for photos and video taken in cloudy
4: snow and sunny snow? Go ahead, Jason. Mm, I'm going to give you some generic advice because I've never thought of... of, of LUTs is something that would be benefic- that that would benefit from from yeah cloudy or sunny snow. Um, I'm guessing you want to tighten contrast, maybe mid-tone contrast. Uh, Motion VFX has a whole bunch of LUTs and they're pretty good
0: yeah the the big thing is is that what you really need for doing doing something like snow under the sun is if you have that exposure available to you you really need you really need to have levels or some kind of scopes you have to see what's peaking uh, and make sure that your white levels are not going over a hundred and so you you know so it's you can have lots to do that. But really understanding what you're looking at is important and understanding, you know, being able to measure it uh, to be able to see it. What you're going to see, of course, is things start to flatten out. And so you want to just pull back a little bit from there. Go ahead, Chris.
3: Currently on Instagram, there's an ad I keep seeing pop up. And it's for a a LUT package, I think, called Black, but it's spelled B-L-V-C-K, I believe. And it's a stunning little 30-second ad. They show a picture. They do a wipe across the typical wipe across, and the picture just looks like, mm, that looks awesome. Show the next one. Oh, that looks good. Ooh, mm, that looks awesome after the wipe. And I would say, Jack is, take a look at things, demos like that where you where you're really moved by like how good it looks. Try to do it yourself. Try to do it yourself. I just just this morning I started. I'd seen that that ad for those black luts a bunch of times. And I was like, I got to, I got to start pushing some knobs around and see if I can make things look that good. Uh, Be inspired by things, but, but learn, learn the fundamentals of how to actually do it yourself. I think a lot of times people look at LUTs as like this magic bullet. Like I'm just going to, you know, throw this LUT on something and everything's going to look fabulous. It it usually doesn't. Try to learn how to do it yourself. I think it'll be a, a worthwhile exercise. And that gets back
0: into using scopes and using uh, a variety of measurement tools. You really want to start to use these opportunities to learn how those measurement tools actually work. Um, If you look at any colorist, at least any colorist that I work with, they have those scopes open all the time and they're looking for very specific things. Like, for instance, if you have something that's neutral, like white or gray, you want your red, green, and blue. If you're looking at what we call an RGB parade, you want the, that levels on that, on that image or that process to be even across all of those. If you want it to be accurate, if you know it's something that's white. Um, but those are the kind of things you want to think about, but really spend time working on. It. I 100% agree with Chris that learning how to do it, I mean, you might have some LUTs that you can throw on there, but really the the knowledge of how to correct stuff is really important. Next question.
1: JJ McKenna from San Rafael, California has a question. Where can one find the lifetime purchase for Stream Deck Mobile 2 for iPads? The lifetime purchase. I didn't know. Is there a... Uh,
0: I have to admit, I don't have the Stream Deck on my iPad, <laughs> so I don't know what the I uh, I didn't know that there was a lifetime versus a a um uh, a membership. I'm sorry, I don't don't have that one. I don't I don't I haven't uh, installed it. I use the. I guess I feel like I know people are using Stream Deck a lot on their phones and on their on their iPads um for me the reason i have a stream deck is because i want something physical (laughs) like i want something physical there to do it uh and so um i have a lot of them i I don't know somehow i've accumulated like six of them on my desk and so um so but i but i it's to me the keys are the thing that i'm buying them for um so i but i do understand the habit i i always need to kind of reach over and and i don't don't know what it is it's 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 important to me so I I i haven't played with it the point of a stream deck is the tactile thing underneath your fingers it does, the analog thing that appears to do something digital, even though all
3: you're looking at is a, is a screen with some, that's uh, got little buttons on it. <laughs> you know, like it's... I was at NAB one year, and somebody came up to me and they said, hey, did you see this new iPad interface for color correction? And I said, it's horrible. And he says, but have you seen it? I go, I haven't seen it, but it's horrible. <laughs> I'm like, how can you say that? I said, because I need to touch something. I don't need to see it. It's horrible. I don't want to touch a piece of glass and think I'm controlling my editor. No. Period. Next
1: question. Douglas Carmichael's in with a question. Being an audio music person, first and foremost, how can I develop my lighting and video show control programming skills? Worked through a Grandma 3 on PC tutorial and loved it.
0: You know, I I the the best way to show your skills is to go find somewhere to work, um, you know, and assist. And it might be that you're you get a little extra time on a board. There's no way to prove that you are hireable unless you're working somewhere with the with the with the hardware. Um and the way to do that is not to try to get a job as a lighting designer, but usually try to get a job as a lighting designer's assistant or even a PA. Uh, you know, and so the you have to figure out a way to get in and get to see it in real time and get, you know, maybe some time, board time over time. Um, these things, you know, the, the, the problem, the hard part, I think, that a lot of people have, and, and I think this is the advantage that a bunch of us that have been around for a long time, um, you know, had the opportunity to take advantage of was that. It just takes a lot of time in the entertainment industry to get anywhere. (laughs) It just, you you know, you, a lot of us did a lot of, you know, grungy, you know, boring things for sometimes for years uh, to get into position, you know. And so, you know, I I walked into a radio station and said I, I, you know, and I was a pretty skilled person when I got there and I said, I'll sweep the floors for free. And I did that for at least, I mean, at least three or four months before I did anything else. And even then, you know, I didn't get paid for a long time, you know, to do, to be there. Uh, and so I think that there's, um, uh, you know, I, I, and it was, you know, every, I did everything that nobody else wanted to do. And I did that often in my, in my early 20s. And I think that that is the you have to be ready to just kind of get in there and just get into the vicinity of what you're trying to do, and then be useful and try not to cost too much trouble. <laughs> like sometimes I have trouble with now, but but the um, but but it's really an important
3: piece of the puzzle. Go ahead, Chris. Also, don't put your hands in your pockets. Always ask what what you can do. You know, there's a great uh, uh, story about a guy who was uh, like like Alex saying, you know, I'm, I'll sweep the floors he was a nighttime tape op at a at a facility in San Francisco called One Pass Video. One Pass Video was the mecca of video production in the early 80s. And he would come in at night and he would make dubs of things. I need a window dub of this. It just but what he would do is in the while dubs were running, he'd run down the hall and he'd play in the paint box room. And he finally showed somebody what he had done. And they went, hmm, the, kid, the, the kid's got some chops. And uh, there was a production company coming in. They were doing a video for Michael Jackson. And their paintbox operator, like, was in a car accident or, you know, super sick, whatever. And they went, put the kid in. And they, and they said to the client, they said, if you don't like his work, we'll comp you the day. But this is what we have. I think you won an award for that video. It was, it ended up, and, and I'm tr- trying, I was just trying to look for it. It was one that was like a whole bunch of like cut out, you know, animatic kind of style looking things. I can't remember the look of it, but um, I mean, I can't remember the name of the song, but uh, you got to put in the time. You, you got to put in the time. There's no magic bullet. There's no class you can take. There's no certification you can hang on your wall. Because the other thing is, and Alex has said this many times, you don't hire, you're better off hiring people that you can get along with because I can teach you the rest of it. You know, at, at its core, as a team, we have to get together. Uh, uh, Gary Marshall said when he hires an editor, the first thing he does is he says, so what kind of food do you like? He goes, food? And he goes, yeah, we're going to eat a lot of meals together. What kind of food do you like? <laughs> you know, and you, you, you got to get along with people.
0: Yeah, Richard Branson was known for um, hiring, uh, like, just people he just realized. He, he didn't even have a place for them yet. He would find somebody that he thought was high, very effective. It'd be a waitress, it'd be a thing, and he would just go, or a or a guy that was, you know, serving something, and he, he'd just go, you know, he'd get their name and try to find a place for them in his company. Then he just found that just adding people that were really, you know, on on the, you know, really on the mark, uh, made the company a lot better, and you could figure out, as Chris said, you could figure out the training part later. Um, you know, and so that's a you know, and and I think that that is the it, it really comes down to much more of being a team. I mean, obviously, time and experience and and you know, working on your skill set and everything else is a big piece of this. But um, it rarely does someone get hired on their skill set. You know, just just you know, like it's it's you're at a huge I mean, unless your skill set is top point one percent. You know, you get hired on your, your set gets you in the door, but what you get hired to do hired is because people think that you're going to fit into a team and work well. Now, go ahead, Mitchell.
1: Yeah. The story you told about your radio experience, very similar to mine. And I, I I use it as an example is that I try to get my foot in the door and I had to do exactly what you did. I was the Sunday morning tape operator that ran the Sunday morning tapes. I wasn't a DJ. I wasn't anybody special. I just ran tapes and I became the best tape operator they ever had. And eventually I got a job. But just the fact that I didn't turn my nose up to the work um, made it work. And that's the lesson to be learned. You know, get an entry level, do it as well as you can, and then you're going to get noticed. And part of the, and part of
0: the uh, you know, that process is, are you going to show up on time? Are you going to be reliable? Are you going to, what? how do you handle pressure? How do you handle the need for a certain level of a detail? How, how do you handle... All of those things are, are things that are, um, you know, that what people are looking for. And I know that we're we've kind of gone off the rails with this question, but, but it's really not about proving that you know how to do something. Like, it's really like, it's, it is, it is, you know, um, weird. I think, I don't know where, where I was talking about this with somebody yesterday is I've, I've only interviewed once. I've only had one interview and I only got here? through half of it. i um, sorry. You said that here. Oh, I said on that on the here. show. I heard you say it. Yeah. So I've only been interviewed once and I only got through half of that, that, uh, um, that interview and I got hired, you know, and, but that was, and that's because someone knew me, like someone walked by and knew me. And, um, uh, and so it really is about, I mean, and that's why we provide opportunities to be on panels and to volunteer and to all these other things is because how people get to know you is to do things with you. And so we're providing opportunities for you to do things with people. Um, but that's that you build that network and you build that trust over time. And the problem you have to deal with when you do any of those things is that, you know, the saying is very accurate that trust arrives on foot and leaves on horseback. You can spend two years, uh, you know, building up a reputation and one day of, of being of bad behavior can ruin all of it. So you have to be very um, measured
3: in how you do that. Go ahead, Chris. The uh, so The music video is Michael Jackson, Leave Me Alone. It's, it, it's a fun watch. It's worth looking at. <laughs>
0: A uh, quick reminder, of course, that you can ask, uh, ask questions, general questions about digital media. Uh, you can ask them all through the first hour. So um, you can either, if you're in Mukana or you can get into Mukana. The advantage of going into Mukana, by the way, is that you can, you can chat with other people. You can vote on the questions. But if you just feel like asking a question, uh, you can just use this uh, QR code here or you can just go to askofficehours.com and throw your questions in there. Next question
1: from peter Rosato in las vegas nevada thoughts on the wrinkled blue screen showed in the picard season three gag reel uh, do they have better tech to
2: compensate Code courtney uh they do and uh if you take a look at the uh at this image you'll see there's lots of wrinkles i'll just bring it up briefly so we won't get a takedown notice uh but you got to realize a couple of things on a sound Uh, This is not a live show, so uh, they have all the time in the world and post-production and all the tools in the world to get a good, pull a good uh, blue screen mat. Uh, Second of all, uh, you know, they may only have three feet of space to put this blue screen outside the set because there's fire lanes that have to be maintained and you have to fit the lighting in in front of it uh, and so on. And so you can see that uh, somebody's obviously pulling part of the blue screen away from the set to keep it in front of the lights on one side uh and they can fix all that stuff in post i mean just think about it all the uh all the shows that use people in the green suits that are walking around you know that you see shading on they're not light lighted perfectly yet they remove them in post quite easily uh so a little rotoscoping needed here and there but uh, they have all the tools to make it look fine as long as it's not live they're fine go jason
4: yeah, I was thinking when I reviewed this, that this was just going to be a garbage mat and they were only tracking Picard on this side of it. Because if you look at the, the trackers, right, this this is the more tight green screen or blue screen, right? And the rest of it I, I thought may have just been a throwaway other than, um, than the crew member's head. So, yeah, um, not great, but they may very well have been pushing in on that shot and only tracking for around his head.
3: Yeah, the, yeah, go ahead, Chris. The other thought is you have to look at your budget thing. Uh, how much, uh, Alex likes to say, how, mu- how much am I spending per minute when I have this whole crew on this set? And if it's going to take another X you know, minutes to, to pull that thing tight, it might be cheaper to literally, it literally might be cheaper to do it in post. And as editors, you, you come across this stuff all the time. It's like, ah, why couldn't you guys just fix it? Never mind. I'm a lot cheaper of people. than that whole soundstage full of people. I saw a
0: t shirt that says, I, I, I like to fix it in pre. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so anyway, um, uh, you know, the. The, the issue really is also, though, is that when, when we say, you know, when people say that we didn't use any visual effects, usually what it meant is they put the effort into making sure that the visual effects were really good. Um, and when you have wrinkled screens, especially blue screen, blue screen is particularly hard in, in a lot of cases to, to key um, because a lot of the junk in a digital camera, a lot of the grain and everything else ends up in the blue record. Um, the, the record that has the most data is the green record. And so that's why a lot of times you want to do green. unless This is probably because it was in a dark environment. Sometimes we switch to blue for that um, but the issue you really get into is those wrinkles do make a difference in in what you end up doing is having to do harder keys and then you what you do is you blur them and then you smooth them and then you and that's why if you watch keys where people it just feels a little like everything's a little smooth around them it's probably a bad it was probably a bad screen. Um, you know, I, I went and did a tiny little film in, in Japan with no budget. And because I was the one on set that was managing the green screens and I knew that I was going to have to key them later, like I, we were, I, was, I took it on very differently than everybody else um, and making sure that they were perfectly lit and well lit and, and just what I need to make that happen. And, you know, for a little million and a half dollar film, all the keys came out really really good <laughs> you know and so and it didn't take much more time if you know what you're doing on a green screen um, you can get a lot of a lot of co- um, quality very very fast but you cannot light a green screen or a blue screen without scopes <laughs> like you cannot do that Um, and so if you do it without scopes you're never it's never going to turn out and you can't do it with wrinkles that's why we use the composite components, um, green screens, the lycra green screens, because we can stretch them, spread them with water, and wait for about four to six hours, and they will be now perfectly smooth. And then, if you give a good get, set up, a good light, you won't have any wrinkles. Uh, go ahead, Mitchell.
1: Yeah, if you're really good at doing uh, composites with a blue screen, you probably took that in and dealt with it accordingly. You don't do the whole thing. You'd break it down into pieces, like the part where Picard's head is there and maybe the crewman that was in the shot. Um, you can break it down and make it work real well, and the, uh, the results were good because I never saw it on the uh, the final show in Season 3. An example of a bad key that was done quickly, look at the hunt for Red October at the very end where they're cruising up the, uh, the river, and you see that glow around everybody's... Uh, uh, body that's a bad key next question next uh, question in from Ronnie Hofsey from Tromso Norway Mimo Live Zoom and virtual camera return feed we're on Mimo Live 6.4 and there are some mentions in the online docs that you need Mimo Live 6.5 for return to work anyone played with this and got it to work on 6.4 uh, i haven't i haven't tried it with 6.4 uh,
0: the um I, I do think you may need to upgrade there. Um so and, and I don't know if that's a problem for you or you're trying to stay with one with one version or another. Uh but uh um yeah, so I, I don't I, I I think that uh it'd be interesting. We I think that Oliver has done a lab on this and he may be doing labs in the near future with it with us. So stay tuned for that because I think that we'll we really need to dig into using Zoom. And the virtual camera with MIMO Live, also a, a reminder that uh, vMix is really adding a lot of those things as well if you're on the PC. Um, so those are, uh, and that's going to make a difference in cloud production and so on and so forth, as vMix is, is very close to the surface there. So, um, and they've already announced some of that support. But I think on a Mac, MIMO Live, Zoom, virtual camera could work very well. Uh, but, but I think we got to try to see if we can get Oliver into a, into a um, lab to kind of walk through the, the exact process. So stay tuned for that. Uh, next question.
1: Henry Ramos in Yonkers, New York, asking any idea if the Netgear AV line of, of switchers will support 2110? Looking specifically at Blackmagic's 2110 line of cards.
0: You John?
5: Yeah, it's already been announced. They're coming out with a specific specific device specifically for 2110. So uh, I don't think it's shipping yet, but it's in development right now.
0: Yeah, and we should definitely watch the space. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting that uh, the Blackmagic new switchers have not just one Ethernet, but a bunch of Ethernet connections going into them. So so I, I think that we can, yeah, four of them. So um, I think that we can assume that 2110 is where black magic's going to go with a lot of those things. And yes, uh, we're going to start leaning into talking about how 2110 affects our routing because it's really a very specific thing. It's less expensive than buying a a full-on SDI router, but far more expensive than using the routing that a lot of people use with NDI. So, and and so it, it does take a fair bit of knowledge to use 2110 at scale. It's not that hard to use it for a very small number of of devices, but it uses up a lot of bandwidth. So it's like running SDI through your router. <laughs> so so it's a different different set of problems there. And um, but it's still people will talk about it being expensive. They're talking about it being expensive in comparison to uh, regular run of the mill routers. But for those of us who have bought a lot of SDI routers, uh, it's not that bad.
3: Good, Chris. I don't know if you caught it, but I think I got an email this morning saying that there's a black magic event on thursday morning so yeah that's going to be
0: the ibc announcements and so um so i think that do, do they say what time the black magic announcement was going to 10 a.m be? pacific time how convenient how, how convenient, convenient for all of us so uh we'll probably um we'll probably watch that together <laughs> so, so i think that uh i i expect to have a lot of fun announcements at, at ibc good courtney
2: yeah, one thing to to bear in mind is if you're creating a new facility and you're going to put in twenty one ten, you're going to save a fortune on uh, coax cable uh, because if you're routing, you know, Cat six, it's a lot cheaper to run the thousands of miles of cable in Cat six than it is in, uh, you know, high high resolution twelve gigabit, uh, you know, uh, coax.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it it's been the dream for a long time. The hard part is is really there just hasn't been enough. Um, the the ecosystem hasn't been big enough. So you end up somewhere constantly going back to, um, you know, coming out out of 2110 and going back to something else, you know, going out to SDI, going out to HDMI, having to reconvert because a lot of the hardware wasn't 2110. So it's just taken us a long time to get through that that lift there. So that's, that's been the problem um, that we've seen across the board right now is um, just not having the, the level of support that we need. Um, but I think that black magic may be the thing that turns it over. We don't know um, because uh, of the sheer scale that, that, uh, that black magic holds inside the market. Uh, we'll see. And uh, we'll probably hopefully see more of it uh, on Thursday. Next question.
1: Jack Cannon from Phoenix, Arizona asks, any panelists excited for the new Procreate
4: Dream app for iPad? Now, uh, go ahead, Jason. Mm, yeah. Um, but honestly I, I think that Feather 3D is 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 grabbing so well, much can you, more. Can you of my explain time. about
0: can you explain Procreate the the, the new Dream App?
4: Um, yeah, um, my understanding of it is that it's it is just the reiteration of, of Procreate, which is vector-based drawing and slash kind of photo editing on the iPad.
0: So, but this is a this is something. It's a reiteration. It's, it seems like it's something. This is something new. that's
4: brand new. Then maybe I, I spoke too soon. Yeah, it
0: seems like their Procreate dreams. Um, it, it's it says it'll make animation a lot easier. So this seems to be a. Um, you know, this is a I think a new a new version or a new, you know, kind of they they have like I guess they did the announcement. Um uh yeah, it looks like it's so Procreate in the past, I think, has generally been a 2D app. And so you let you're able to do a lot. They they did the announcement um Uh, they did the announcement, I think three days ago. And, uh, what this is allowing for, I believe is a a variety of animation tools. So haven't got to check it out yet, but thanks Jack for, for posting it. Um, we will, uh, look at it a little closer and and, uh, we'll see if we can't even reach out to them and have them come in and show it to us. Uh, this looks like a great
1: app to demo on the show. Next question. Edwin R. Ruiz from Chicago, Illinois. I'm looking for an encoder for corporate events. What options exist in the sub-1000 price point? Initially looking at the Blackmagic Design web presenter 4K. Thanks. Yeah, so I'll, I'll keep on coming back to the one that we use for the show,
0: and the one that I would recommend generally for a sub one thousand dollars. It's actually about a thousand dollars. Is the uh, is the Elemental Link? Um, now that means that you're going to have additional costs on the other end, uh, but you're going to your your ability to get out of a location using the the kind of the Zixie Plus Elemental Secret Sauce your ability to get out of the out of the location is much higher. Uh, you can also the, this encoder is going to allow you to do things like up to eight channels of audio. So if you've got multiple languages, if you've got other audio tracks, um, those types of things uh, can be done uh, with that encoder. Uh, I haven't really seen a lot. I mean, I think that the the Blackmagic Web Presenter in, in some in the switchers are um, they. I love the interface for the for the Web Presenter and how it works. The reliability or its ability to transverse anything that's going on in the network uh, is probably. We've had issues with it dropping and having a couple things like it not being as stable as we'd like it to be. So it's not a bad solution, but there's not a lot of other hardware. I mean, that is the, in my opinion, under under thousand under a thousand dollars. You're really choosing, in my opinion, between the Black Magic Design Web Presenter. And the Zixi and the, and the, um, the, the elemental link, the problem with the elemental link, of course, it still costs you per minute about, uh, or per hour. I think it's, um, it ends up being about a couple of doll- Uh, I don't know. I think it's a couple of dollars an hour <laughs> to use it. Uh, so if you're doing something that's 24 seven or you're doing a lot of it, it starts to add up. Um, but the, uh, but if it's, uh, if you're just doing an event for eight hours, it's the, the cost will be noise, and then you're able to manage it. And the nice thing about it is you can send it out with somebody. They don't need to know anything about it. All they need to know is that power
1: Ethernet video goes in, and then we're off to the races. Um, next, to, next question. Tom Davis from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Aside from the Mixpre line, what other sub $500 compact audio interface is ideal for travel with low self-noise and is capable of some kind of background noise removal? Go ahead, Mitchell. Uh, Tom, you've got my attention because I haven't found one. Uh, $500 is a uh, pretty low point for something that includes the noise removal. Um, I'd say that your, uh, your your reference point, the MixPre 3 with uh, Noise Assist is probably the lowest and best uh, situation to have. But other than maybe an external box that uh, accepts a uh, some type of plug-in uh, in order to do some kind of noise reduction, I don't think it exists quite yet.
0: I think that, well, I'm talking about, oh, this is, again. No, yeah, there's nothing that does the background removal under, under $500. We wish, we wish. Next question.
1: Next question from Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas. All the leaders at OpenAI want to do, they say, is build computers smart enough and safe enough to end history. Thrusting humanity into an era of unimaginable bounty. Uh, Stephen Levy uh, said that. Discuss. Uh, Go ahead, uh, John.
5: Uh, All of the the C-level guys at OpenAI have all been trained by whoever their PR firm is or whoever's leading their PR efforts is masterful. It's a master class in PR. They're all in the same wavelength. They all say the same things every time they do an event. And they've traveled the world telling their story about this kind of utopia, which is kind of sickening, actually.
0: <laughs> well, can you explain more of the utopia? What I, I'm not—I didn't—I wasn't didn't able it to. Comes, look at
5: this. this is all Sam Altman. So Sam Altman is a universal basic income guy. He's a—he's really left, and, mm-hmm. in his stance and and uh, you, you know
0: abundance and all this kind of speak. Um, yeah. It's a little overboard. I think that the challenge really is is how the the challenge with all of this is going to be redistribution of wealth and how that's managed because uh, I think that what right now, my opinion is that folks that are at the top from a skill perspective, not I'm not necessarily saying from a money perspective, are highly energized by AI because they, they can do get a lot more done that they need to get done. And they understand the difference between whether it's working or not working and they can cut through that. The problem with AI in general that I think we have to grapple with is what happens to all the people that are trying to come up the rank, up the ranks and how do you get experience when all the basic stuff, you can't get paid to do, as as AI takes over a lot of things, you're not going to get pay, be able to be paid to do the basic operations. I, we talked about this earlier in the show. A lot of us came in and did something very, very basic for a long period of time to prove that we were useful and to get in. And where does that you know, where does that go? You know, like, where does that, um, you know, how do you, uh, what's the pathway? You, the, the problem you get into in general, we'll just talk about this for a second, but the problem you get into in general is, is with this process is that right now, you know, what you want is something like that, that you can always, a person can always be walking up a path and the steeper that path gets, um you know or if it turns into a you know cliff like that you just end up with a bunch of people all piled down here not able to get up and that that usually ends in revolution so um so the uh but when we do things like you know you know like uh, there's a lot of things that we do to the, the, even are trying to help people um you know when we start increasing how much everyone gets paid that actually create it creates more opportunities for people there it makes it harder and harder for the other people to get hired <laughs> because there's a higher there's a higher rank and so so those are the things that that are that are challenging yeah go ahead, john
5: there's a perfect analogy i play on chess.com and i'm a beginner like like 600 ranking what happens is all of the gr- good players and they have a name for this all of the good players create a phony profile and come down and play us so we can never get above so we're all thwarted down at this level and we're getting crushed by these 2,000 players because they're coming down and faking themselves and beating us just for fun. And we're stuck at these lower level rankings.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that um, now the advantage of, I think, AI is going to be the ability for us to get trained a lot faster, to learn a lot faster, um, you know, as we, as the, the learning models against this will um, potentially better. But these are all things that we're gonna have to we'll keep talking about all the way through office hours, probably at least, at least a little bit once a day. <laughs> Next question.
1: Next question coming in from Robert Green in Los Angeles. Happy Apple event day. Are we excited? Go, ahead, John.
5: I'm bug. I haven't been excited about a September event in a long time. It's been incremental improvements for the last, what, I don't know, six or seven years in a row. So we'll see. We're playing bingo, so we'll have fun anyways.
0: Go, ahead, Jason.
4: Yeah. Um, I, I'm i excited mostly to hear about the way that they talk about the Vision Pro. And I like thinking about the the... You know, for example, LiDAR was, what, two years ago? And, you know, clearly this has been a plan that's been a long time in the works. I am, I'm curious to see what additional things are, like, just outside of frame when they're, like, you know, the, the, new, the new iPhone will do this. And it's, like, that's because no one wants their, their, to, to experience their kid's birthday with a Vision Pro on their face. Next question. As
1: from Tukili Kikanan from Christina Kapunke, Florida. And the question is, we have been told that we need ground bonding across our systems and our building to make them better, safer and cleaner of noise. Please, can you explain for us bonding ground and how we do this?
0: I would just like to commend uh, um, um, Mitchell for a great read there. Um, and the... Um, uh, yeah, the, so the issue is, is that ground wants to find home. You know, so when you create an, a dis, uh, discontinuity of voltage, they, it's always trying to find home, and it'll find it'll just it'll go through things. And where sometimes it, it uses to go through things are your electronics equipment. And so, what you need is to make sure when grounds don't, when all the electronics and everything else don't ground. uh, So when you don't, when they're not all on the same ground, um, they are trying to find different ways home, and sometimes ones that are easier to get home. Instead of what they had was to go through something else. Um, It's always going to go to the least, uh, the the least path of least resistance, literally. Um, And so the um, so what happens is is that you by unifying all those grounds. Uh, you are, um, you are able to make sure that they're all, when they all share the same ground, they're not going to start cheating and going to using somebody else's ground, which is what creates all the, all the buzz. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's also safer, you know, they have, uh, uh, you know, you have problems with cattle and all kinds of other things where spare voltage, they, they call it, um, uh, stray voltage, uh, can actually kill the cows, you know, not over, not because it shocks them and they fall over, but it, 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 um it vibrates on the bottom of their feet (laughs) and that tickling has them to stop eating and all kinds of other things. And so uh, you have to be um, pretty careful about, you know, that it it does make a difference to have it shared. It's just very hard to do. And uh,
2: go ahead, Courtney. Sorry, just missed my glitch. Uh, Yeah. Ground bonding is uh good for a couple of reasons eliminating noise and and eliminating static differential which is a thing that uh, Alex kind of touched on with high high voltage frequencies can build up and if the grounds aren't uh connected uh know. here's an example of ground bonding all the grounds are led to a common bus that is then tied to a single point of grounding um That way, there's no voltage differential between the ground on one piece of equipment, the ground on another piece of equipment, which even uh, static electricity can build up between the two. And so that when you touch both of them or contact between both of the uh, grounded, even though both of them are grounded, if they're grounded to different grounds, there can be a discharge between the two, which can cause glitches in electronic equipment and cause little tingles people who touch the cross them they're not going to get electrocuted with the static electricity but uh it will uh, it can cause uh, problems with electronic equipment because it can blow out things because it's high voltage and it jumps and especially in areas where you have a high propensity for static buildup like uh, where there's a lot of thunderstorms not la but you know where there's the cold dry air go ahead john
5: I had a, I had an office that had two separate buildings and they were not tied together with ground. And, and we tried to, we tried to cross link them in ground. We had to bury a pole eight feet deep in order to get that ground to work. Cause we had a, we had a cat, we had a uh, RG six run from one building over and we got the grounding lines coming up. So until we pounded that thing eight feet down on the ground,
1: it didn't work. Next question. From David Brady, New York, New York. Salvaged four Sony BRCZ z 330s with these specs. One-third inch HD CMOS, 2.25 megapixel, 1080 60i NTSC, and 1080 50i PAL formats. 18x optical, 4x digital zoom, along with the controller. Worth keeping for the Sunday place?
0: Yeah, they're not too bad. Um, I think the main thing that you look at is that um, I don't think that it'll do uh, a pro- progressive. So when you stream it, you may see uh, you just want, what, we do, what you see me do anytime I look that I don't think I'm getting progressive. I'll just go like this. I'm just looking at it. If I see the combing on my, from the interlace, um, and, and again, we don't see that on TV typically because it's designed to be interlaced. But um, when you stream it, you may see that interlacing. So that would be the thing that I'd test. Next question.
1: Bastian Lloyd in Dallas, Texas, has a question. Can you share different ways how to archive and save iPhone videos while maintaining picture
4: quality for future editing use? Go ahead, Jason. Well, step one is don't throw the pixels away. Shoot at the highest possible thing that you can and uh, be sure that you can get it off of the device quickly. Um, That said, iCloud can do this pretty well, and it won't throw anything away if you... If you do tell it not to, um, there are third party apps. iMazing does, I believe, automatic backup of iOS the minute you plug it in. It also works seamlessly in Finder. The important part here is that in Finder, you have to set a password or the um, the secure pieces of, of iOS will not be saved. And that has changed a lot over the years. It, it used to be bizarre little metadata stuff. And, um, and now I believe it's almost entirely the secure enclave. But if, you, if what you're after is a, a way to completely back up and then um, sync back an iPhone, Finder works really well and it's still pretty slow. If you're looking for a way to permanently archive, then um, iMazing is also pretty good. Next question. Dan Huber in Erie,
1: Pennsylvania. If I've got a device that needs power over Ethernet Plus, can I use a power over Ethernet injector but still put it on our network that has PoE? Go, Jason.
4: Yes, just uh, be 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 a little bit careful. Do not get a cheap one. Um, you you need you need a device that recognizes that there's poe and you'd be better off turning off poe on that port and then injecting poe plus also understand that there is poe poe plus plus and um and then standard 48 volts and if you're if what you mean by poe is 48 volts
5: be
0: very
4: careful i i have
0: to I have to admit that I have a lot of trouble with injectors. You know, like it hasn't been a really successful thing for me um, to use them as opposed to just using a switch with uh, PoE on them.
1: Uh, Next question. John Fisher in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, asking, A crew is coming next week to shoot a TV commercial on my property. Other than staying out of their way, which are some things I can do ahead of time to make their jobs easier.
0: Go ahead, Jason.
4: Well, I mean, I'd say step one is simply ask, um, and they, they if they're a good crew, they will ask for what they need. I would say any sort of wayfinding things that you can put down road cones and whatnot, mark things really well. Um, maybe put a custom Google map in. This is how you're getting into this property. Here's the access. Here's the place that we've set off for. Here, um, mark any sort of hazards. Um, if there are stairs or ramps, use glowy tape or, or you know, really high-vis stuff. Um, and then, you know, other than that, just be sure that they have it, you know, all of that information in advance and don't need to reach too far for it. Just push it to them.
0: Go ahead, Mitchell.
4: Yeah. Help them uh, with
1: the power. If they want to spread the load uh, for lights and all that other stuff, um, let them know where the circuits are for each uh, of the uh, switches on your uh, panel. uh, So if they need to spread the load, they can easily. And snacks are always appreciated. Go ahead, Courtney.
2: Depends on the level of the production, but uh, rule number one, ask for a certificate of insurance from the production company. Verify that the certificate of insurance is valid uh, for that amount. Then... uh, make sure that they're going to lay down layout board, you might want to take anything breakable or high value and put it away somewhere else and move it off the property. Uh, Let uh, come up with a list of things that you, you know, are are sensitive, that you don't want moved, for example, furniture that you don't want moved, or you want protected, and they'll come in ahead of time, and they will wrap it in furniture pads. And if they have to move it out of the house, uh, they will. Uh, you might open up your garage to make sure it can be used for and get your cars out, park them on the street so that they have room to set up craft service or move your furniture into a covered place if they have to put it, bring in their own furniture. Uh, I would not let them tie into my electricity. You know, it's okay to plug in a monitor or a, you know, a sound, a sound cart, but no lighting should be able to be plugged into your electricity because you don't want them overloading your circuitry. Usually most good commercial production companies bring a generator and run their own AC. So that should not be a problem unless they're really low budget. Um, and that's mostly what I can think of. And then just stay out of the way, uh, leave and, and, or make, make, uh, make contact with the location manager. The location manager is your liaison between the production company and you, and we'll be there full-time watching everything that goes on, watching for people scarring the walls, et cetera. And uh, make sure you have a little thing in your writer in your contract that says they have to paint or repair any damage done to the home.
0: Go ahead, Chris.
3: John, hopefully uh, the way you worded this it says on my property and not indoors. I'll tell you one thing. I would never, ever let a film crew in my home. Ever. There's people that want to do it. That's fine. You might be able to make a little money off of it. Never, ever. You know, I...
0: me. I have thought about it, you know, I, you know and, and uh, I thought, oh, my house would be really good. And we've done shoots that I've even done. And after those shoots that I did myself in my own house, I would not let any film crew shoot Why did house. I let me in here? <laughs> you, you, the problem is, is you just get, you get into time and everything else. And then you want to do this crazy thing and, and you now decided. I mean, I did a couple in my own apartment and, and it was a horrible idea. Like it was just, you know, it was like we just did so much damage. Uh, next question.
1: Next question from C.J. Covell in Central Pennsylvania. Stream Deck Mobile on iPad can display an 8x8 grid of buttons, two times what's possible on the Excel. Any good way to merge two pages into one or else bulk copy and paste buttons?
0: Yeah, go ahead, Jason.
4: Yeah, um, you can import and export, and it really is that simple. You could also, if you're Apple device to Apple device, just simply copy the button in the Stream Deck app and then paste it on the iPad.
0: Next question.
1: Derek Alexander in Riverside, California. Anyone on the iPhone upgrade program, and who is it for, and is it worth it? Go, John.
5: Oh, who is it for? I don't, I'm not sure what you're asking there. I'm on the AT&T upgrade program, and I've gotten a new phone except for... I didn't get the 14 as I thought there was only incremental from 13 to 14, but I'll be upgrading to 15. And I always get great; they always give me great value for my trade-in phones. I always get a lot of. I, I'm really surprised every time I trade it in; uh, they pay me a lot for my used phone coming in. I'm super happy with that program, AT and T.
1: Next question. Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas, a new study published in the Journal of Science Advances estimates that the McDermott Caldera, a volcano crater crater on the Nevada-Oregon border, harbors a colossal 20 to 40 million metric tons of lithium. Why is this important? Go ahead, Mitchell. It just might be the largest deposit of lithium in the world, unprocessed, of course. But lithium is key to making batteries. And uh, right now, China has the uh, largest uh, supplies of it. Next question. Next question coming in from David Brady in New York, New York. I've got a pretty good home automation set up using HomeBridge and Apple non-Apple stuff. Will Matter matter to me?
0: You know, a lot of times we... um we think matter I mean, we've talked about it. I I and I guess Chris is our our new panel expert on this, but evidently matter works much better if you have threads. Is that right? You you, you gotta have threads for the matter? Is that is that
3: right, Chris? There are two separate things. Uh, I don't know. So <laughs> All I know is it never works. <laughs> So it never but is a superlative. I don't. Never for
0: I me. I, it, it is working. Like uh, I, like for instance, uh, I have this dream that I can tell my lights to do something, but when I do it, all of my devices hear it and nothing happens. Like I'm just
3: like I don't like. Can we get this all to work? So, so interesting. There's a guy named Shane. I think his name is Shane Watney or Watley. That may not be an L. And he's one of the YouTubers on uh, the YouTube that talks about HomeKit stuff that I enjoy watching. He, um, I just yesterday, maybe uh, two days ago, posted a video saying, "I'm starting my HomeKit uh, build over from scratch." Like he's literally throwing. The guy has dozens and dozens and dozens of of uh, data uh, of things in his HomeKit universe, and he's rebuilding everything from scratch. So, it, it's a little bit of the I, I call it like a, you know, it's a it's it's a lake with with un where you're unsure how thick the ice is before you go skating on it. You want to be careful. Um, and so, uh, but matter and threads are two different universal languages that apparently a lot of companies are buying into. It's a little bit of VHS beta, if you're old enough to remember that battle, um, but they can work simultaneously on a network. So the way threads works is you place thread enabled devices around your house and it basically makes a mesh that the things that are not thread can get back to the hub through. And I've actually used that philosophy perfectly. I have one uh, device that's far away in the house and I placed a thread enabled thing. I just plugged it into a bathroom halfway down the hallway. It's not, it's not even doing anything, but by plugging that thing in halfway down the hallway, the thing that's at the end of the hallway actually works. Matter is a little bit of the same thing. Go ahead, Jason.
4: A matter is a protocol. A thread is the process by which that protocol is, is reported to other devices, if, if that helps. Go ahead, John. I'm sorry, we were running out of time. No,
0: no, go ahead. What were you going to say? No, no, go ahead. What were you going to
5: say? I've been in home automation business since X10 modules, and none of them work. I'm very disappointed in technology. <laughs>
0: You're just... She's just bitter. Well, I mean, like, which are you doing anything with them right now?
5: Yeah, i I have, I have, uh, I have them all, and none of them work right. None of them work right.
0: Are you Are you using th- threads? No, I'm not using threads. I gave up. You got to talk to. I think you need to talk more to. uh to Chris about all of this I, I I do Chris and I are talking about the fact that we probably should do a a a show that is just just for automation because um then then I can you and I can be the curmudgeons
3: and Chris will have to t- show us how it all works can, can I tell you the, the the nice thing about it is there's a sense of satisfaction when it does work it's it's fun to solve the problem. It's not horribly expensive and it's 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 almost like a hobby but I mean ultimately. Like I did all this stuff and my wife came and she's like, why can't I just throw the switch that's on the wall? Because I have a better way of doing it. Really? Is it really better? Coming up next week,
0: uh, or the rest of this week, uh, Wednesday, we have Ambisonic. Uh, we're going to be talking about how we're doing uh, Ambisonic for the events. And so you've probably seen, some of you may have seen the testing that we've done in the past. Um, and uh, we're going to be talking a little bit m- in more detail about that. Mickey, I took an Ambisonic mic down to the office. We're going to kind of set it up. We're going to have speakers and we're going to show how it goes through that process and how it gets to us. So um, so that's going to be uh, tomorrow. Um, so it should be a lot of fun. Um, and then on Wednesday, on Thursday, uh, Calvin Roberts, an old friend of mine, Calvin Roberts is going to be on. um, And he is going to be talking about his journeys. Uh, Friday, we've got solving network challenges. And uh, of course, IBC at the end of the week. And we've got a little promo for you right here.
2: European members of the Office Hours community are heading to the International Broadcast Convention in the Rye Center in Amsterdam to bring you the latest broadcast trends and technologies to Office Hours live from the exhibition floor. Join us on the 16th of September for the latest trends in broadcasting technologies. And this year we are especially focusing on finding solutions for your production problems. Let us know what you would like to see, what problems you need to be solved. Over on officehours.global slash IBC.
0: And welcome back for the second hour. Um, I'm really excited to have uh, the folks from Feather here today. Uh, the 3D sketchbook. A wee, I had never seen it before, Seagraph. <laughs> so we walked by and I just kept on staring at this wall and just going, what are they doing? doing you know and just this amazing um, you know just magic uh, as far as i was concerned and so we covered it a little bit you can see a little of our coverage of seagraph but i just had to have them on and, and we're so excited to have the team uh from feather on we've got um chief designer Jun yang uh chief engineer q Hong, and uh community and en- uh manager jenny lee and um, i've been uh, c- quietly watching uh their um I jumped into their discord and Jenny's doing great little demos and, and I've, I've been learning a lot and I've been, but, but not what's interesting about what I've seen so far and what I saw at Seagraph is that not only are we talking about designers and engineers and and community managers, but people who really understand the app, they're using the app all the time that they, that they have. So uh, anyway, I just want to welcome all of you to the, uh, to the show. Welcome to the show. And can you hear us Okay. Everything coming through, yeah, very good. Um, do you want to give us a little introduction to uh, to Feather, Jenny?
6: Here to introduce Feather, I'm the community manager, Jenny. Thank you for introducing me. So, I'd like to share actually a demonstration video while I'm um, introducing our app. Sounds so- good. Yeah, so is everyone watching the video I'm sharing that. right now at the oh, moment? Not yet. Okay, almost, great. Almost,
0: almost. Hold on. So, let's, let's go back. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's cue that up again one more time. We didn't get to you quite as fast. Go go ahead and just start at the top again.
6: Uh, would I? Should I start again? Okay. Yeah,
0: go ahead cool. and start. There you go.
6: Okay, thank you. So our product Feather, it's named because it's the 3D sketchbook Light as a Feather. And as you can see, it is for drawing and sketching in three dimension with a tablet, like a pen device and just the hands, but not to miss, it's actually a web application. So you can use it on any device. It doesn't really have to always be on an iPad. It could be any tablets you have, or actually you could also set it up on the desktop with a Wacom tablet too. So, um, This app is actually made for anyone who wants to express in 3D or communicate ideas in 3D dimension. Um, so as you can see, we wanted to keep the experience of actually drawing with a pen, like as natural as you do with a paper and a pencil, but in 3 dimension. So now I'd like to actually have the iPad drawing in live. So I can show you actually how it works with June drawing. There we go. So yeah, here we go. And so this is like how we start. We start from a blank note as like a blank paper, and then you can view around with your fingers and you can actually get an image on like a side, clipboard so you can have it as a reference Um, you can organize the drawings in groups also so to start drawing he actually got like his 2d sketch as a reference image imported and now he will start drawing with the pen so if you can see he first draws a line and then it becomes like an extruded surface we call this a 3d guide because this will get um gone after you draw the stroke on top of it. So the guide is just for you there to draw on top of it and it won't um, be left. So if you see, he's also using the mirror um, features. So he gets the symmetric shape of the chair right now he's drawing. So. Eventually you can actually draw any shape lines, like a curvy one, a wave you want, and then you draw on top of it, and then the strokes become like a 3D mesh. And there you get the form, like in the way you want, and you can express all the lines quite freely in any shape. And we believe this is actually pretty fast and it still gives the experience like a 2D sketching. Like if you are a designer or you know how to draw, you can do it.
0: And what it's doing there right is is that the when you have that plane, it is projecting mm-hmm. what you're drawing in the 2D space against that plane so that yeah, exactly. so because I've noticed that when I play with it, if I'm at an angle, it'll just kind of stretch along it, right? So it, you really need to mm-hmm. be somewhat perpendicular to the uh, to the plane that you're drawing on. If you want to hold that shape, is that correct?
6: Oh yeah, that's actually true because it's easier, you know, if you want if you can actually get to like the very side or like the very top view so you right. can know exactly which direction the surface is getting extruded, but actually you can also go to the orthogonal view. So then um the the surface that gets extruded that you can draw on top is always kind of straightly stretched. In the vertical like, direction you are drawing. So you just have to always draw a line and then you have to change the view to actually see on top of the surface where you're drawing. So maybe you can imagine like the surface is like a paper you are drawing with. So you create the paper shape from the side and then you have to flip to the top of the paper and then you would get to know like that you're drawing on top of like the wibbly wobbly or like bended shape of kind of a paper and you're drawing on top of it.
0: Yeah. And I, and I just find for a lot of us, I mean, people who, you know, when you're trying to sketch out an idea, but not, we don't necessarily are, aren't uh, three drawing in 3d. I spent, yeah. you know, I grew up building things in 3d and I also sketch things in 2d, but my ability to sketch in perspective is limited. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so uh, that's what I got. Th- I think I got so excited about, um, related to this. Um, we, we'll go ahead and cut back to the, to the, um, uh, st- we can stay on the iPad there while he's drawing. Um, and, um, the, uh, so yeah, I found that it was a, uh, um, for me th- when I saw this, I think that's what I really got excited about was the idea that I don't, you know, it, it is figuring out some of the 3d so I can do my 2d ideas and, um, but, but sketch them into a 3d space.
6: Yeah, actually I really agree with it because I also had a lot of trouble when I was like learning the perspective views I had to draw all the guides I needed to draw to know how to express like my thoughts and shape and form I wanted to draw in 3D. But with Feather actually it makes you much easier because you don't need to learn all the perspective guides and everything because you're actually drawing in the 3D space already. And one thing so, I noticed
0: there was that um that uh, Jun um, um, kind of move the legs, so he's not, you're not, you're not limited, right, to just what you drew. You can kind of move and copy these things around.
6: Oh, yeah, exactly. You got the nice point. He's actually using the select mode at the moment now. So he selected the drawings he already did before, and then he had, he could move it around with the joystick. He could actually stretch them in the direction he wants, like the size of it. Also he could actually change to um, like the mode of the joystick. so he can um, keep the proportion of that. Also he can adjust the brush type or the colors of the drawings he already did. So actually you can draw and then transform or change the things you want to do now, to copy do that, and use it slow.
0: Do you need to create new layers to do that or is it just it's just a no. matter of selecting it?
6: It's it's just selecting it and then doing it. Well, if you want to keep a copy of the before version, maybe you can um, Mm -hmm. keep it in another group and then do it, but unless you could just select them and then change them directly.
0: And then one thing that I noticed was the ability to um, build a guide, a guide layer, and then uh, warp it, <laughs> you know, like so. Basically, oh, sweep yeah. it along another guide layer. Mm-hmm. I think I brought that up with you. at disc. I, I, sh- I saw something on Discord, and I, I saw yeah, the movie. I you and I was in like,
6: the community. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I was like, "How do you, you know?" And so that that I found to be really useful. Um, oh
6: yeah, I think we could show it right now. Yeah. Um, so that is because if you just can only make the surface, that is like really always straightforward. It makes right. like a lot of um, limits in the shape you could draw. So this. We have this uh, function that you can bend the 3D guide you drew first. So now it's still straight, and then you click one icon and then draw again, and then it will um, bend the 3D guide you drew before along the another new line you drew again. So see if he did like a wavy one. Now the
0: so and it, it's basically sweeping like sweeping wavy. one long yeah it's like one sweeping, onto the other exactly. Mm-hmm.
6: Yeah. Yes
0: because that you know it was it was it took me a little while to kind of figure out exactly okay yeah that there you can see kind of a very so you can build much more complex guide you know guides mm-hmm, to kind yeah. of fill those so out
6: so we are actually planning to make more functions um to like not only once, like sweep but maybe like different ways to make surfaces that are more com- complex but yep. at the moment now we are providing this one function to bend
0: and then you can um and you can also inside of this, of course, still paint in like right now we have the outlines, but um, but you could paint more data, like fill it, fill that, that chair in, right?
6: Yeah, but actually that's done by like the person who is drawing, to be honest. Right. So it's basically at the moment we don't really have like a thicker brush or like a fill in tool. So now it's actually using like a color pencil. So the person who's yep. drawing can actually fill in this. Um, space by coloring with like the pen that's he's great. using now. But we are actually planning to make like a thicker brush. So it actually works like a marker pen, or actually some ways we are finding to fill in the surface. But it's just a bit tricky for us to actually um, get the idea of where the person wants to fill in because the surface mm-hmm. and like the lines and the guides are all like an information for us now.
0: Yeah, no, I, and I think, I think that that's the, um, I, I think just sketching the idea that you can just sketch in 3d is enough, I, yeah, it's, exactly. uh, but, but you can, I just wanted to outline that, you know, I've seen some of the other stuff that you've worked on and I've been playing with it. Um, of being able yeah. to kind of, once I have that surface, I start to kind of fill that surface in. I
6: mm-hmm.
0: now are, is there any way to save those guides or is it just the guys just kind of disappear as you work?
6: Yeah, at the moment the guide is like one at a time. So after right. he drew one and then he removes it, after he finishes drawing on it, it gets removed, but we are making it uh possible to keep it in the for the future like as different layers. So in, like, another panel next to the group, he can actually keep, like, OBJ images and, like, image files, like, as a resource. And the 3D guide you drew will also be one of the resources there, so you can um, control them separately. But at the moment, yet, it's not saved.
0: And and if you bring an OBJ, you can bring an OBJ into... Uh, yeah, exactly. Into feather. And, and, what, and can you draw over it? Or what do you use the OBJ for?
6: So there are three modes for the OBJ. So one is to draw on top of it. I think June is now drawing on top of the OBJ he just imported. So, so that's so, an OBJ
0: model and he's drawing, he, he's, he's using the yeah, OBJ as a he's guide? he's using
6: the OBJ. Yeah, exactly. You got the point. So he's using it as a guide. He's coloring on top of the OBJ. He got it. Like he's drawing the lines. He could color it like decorating also. But also if you don't want to draw on top of it and you just want to use it like as a reference, for example, then you can switch the mode to just leave the OBJ visible but not draw on top of it. So now he could just draw as he was doing before, like drawing the guide as he wanted and then he's drawing on top of the guide now, not Mm -hmm. on the OBJ but can see the OBJ for like a reference. And then there's one more mode so you can actually make the guide, um, the OBJ invisible. So it disappears from the shows. So just the lines and drawings he he did.
0: I will say that given how close you are with a lot of these models, um, I, I, I could see myself as a person who's done 3D modeling. The idea mm-hmm. of being able to draw a lot, like let's say a, a bunch of um, uh, wireframes and then connect yeah. them, you know, via a, a, you know, a, a, you know, sweeping through those wireframes, seems like you're very close to being able to basically build, build 3D models with a pen.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So it's 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 very powerful. Um, we've got um, a lot of questions starting to stack up, but before we get to those, Courtney, you got a question?
2: Yeah, I noticed that uh, it seems to be in symmetrical mode so that you've got a center dividing line and anything you draw on the right side of that dividing line, it, it uh, duplicates and mirrors on the other side. Is that how this is working, especially for chairs and things like that that are symmetrical?
6: Yeah, so he's using the symmetric mode because he's he was drawing the shape of the chair and that's like a specific mirror mode we call. So you can have um, two... Directions of mirror and you can choose which direction you want. So now he was using it like for the sides, but if he actually activates the other mirror mode also, then it gets like a cross, like so he could get like four drawings doing at the same time. Also, the point of having the mirror mode on is that when you select the drawings that you did with the symmetric mode, like the mirror mode, then you can also move or like, um, transform the drawings um, with the mirror kept. So like if you move, then they move like with the mirror um, baseline still activated, which could be quite handy if the form you want to make is symmetric in three dimension.
0: That's great. Yeah. So it's not a, it doesn't have to be in
1: a mirror mode. It's
0: just no, it doesn't a, have
6: to always be like this. Yeah. yeah.
0: Let's go ahead and jump into the questions. What's the first question?
1: Uh, we got a question in from Jack Rupel in Breckenridge, Colorado. Jack wants to know what are the hardware requirements. Can I use a sixth generation iPad? Q.
7: Yep. Uh, I suppose that the sixth generation iPad is. Uh, it came out 2018, and also is based on. You can use also the Apple Pencil, so you can use the feather with the sixth generation iPad, but. Feather is kind of a drawing app also using like 3D rendering. So the basically uh, computation power is kind of a little bit uh, needed. So when you use sixth generation iPad, it's kind of, um, you can still use it, but it may be a little bit laggy. So keep in mind that. So I recommend you to like use the iPad with the pencil on when over the 2020. So, yep. You can use it, but it cannot be laggy. Next question.
1: Dave Kaufman from Vancouver, BC, Canada. Feather introduces something new, a new user interface paradigm in 3D. Can you explain how you came up with this new interaction model? Go ahead, Jenny.
6: Okay, I found this question quite interesting, actually. So it's very thankful, actually, that saying that we opened like, a new paradigm for the interface for 3D... Actually, uh, when we were developing um, this software for the iPad, it was important to keep the interface quite simple because always the tablets are much more smaller than the desktop um, environments. And at the same time, we wanted to kind of get be different with the CAD modeling or um, 3D animation tools like at the moment now because they are pretty much very um, complicated and it has a really high like hard uh, learning curve for most of the people we think if they don't have like uh, a lot of educations. So we thought it would be really nice to keep it more simple and very intuitive. So for example, um, we always kind of have in mind that we want to keep the experience that people have is very much like drawing with a pen and on the paper. And that's how we got the idea to have the 3D guide also drawn and then also drawing on top of it. So which actually has always the consistency of drawing experience. And also like with the selecting tools and the joystick that always came from the ideas are from our actual um experiences using and looking at the 3D objects or experimenting with them and viewing them in our real lives. And for example, the joystick actually comes from like our videos, like game controllers and stuff, which are much more intuitive than actually being in the 3D modeling um, software. If you have experience, they always kind of have the XYZ um, things and you have to like change the cubes inside of them and stuff which is we found pretty like less intuitive as we are touching the objects with our hands so that's those were the points i think i could talk about and would like to mention about
0: and have you seen um i have you seen many schools picking this up this seems like the perfect perfect school drawing program have you seen that have you had much interaction with schools
6: Yeah, actually, we have an education team. So the manager from the education team is not here at the moment, but we do uh, wanted to try starting to um, use feather in the school with children for from elementary school to high school. And also, of course, like for university students also. So Uh, We are actually uh, running a lot of several, like, one-day classes or workshops with the different schools and different environments or academies, too.
1: Next question. From New York, New York, it's David Brady asking, what kind of interoperability can be expected between Feather and existing CAD-CAM applications? Go ahead, Jenny.
6: Okay, so... Um, actually the, all the drawings that are done in Feather could be exported in 3D formats. So that could be the biggest, um, part where you can use it with different existing, um, applications. So if you get the exported files, they would be exported like each strokes are actually having the 3D mesh volumes. So you can see the mesh data in different 3D software such as like Blender or Maya and probably C4D such as them.
0: And it exports uh, USDZ?
6: Not at the moment. You can get the OBJ file and GLTF mm-hmm. files, and we are actually uh, working on the USD files. So it would come soon, but okay. not yet.
0: The, excited, the the thing that I would that I'm excited about looking at that is the idea that I could sketch something really quickly and simply text it to... Uh, somebody on, you know, if, if they have an iPhone or whatever, and they could simply just set it down in front of them immediately. So I think that, that could be really
6: uh, yeah. useful. Um for sending it like just like as a very fast and simple way, we act- also have the function you can just export it into like publish with a web link and you can still let the other person without a Feather account or the any application, they can just open it on the website and view it in 3D. So you can like hand it on easy, easier.
1: No, absolutely. Uh, next question. Craig McFarlane from Boston, Massachusetts wants to know, as a web app, are there limitations on different environments and detecting a pen versus multiple
7: fingers? A Q. Yeah. Uh, at past there was only a mouse event at the web. But as the Touch device came to the market. Web supports the point event too, so there is no. Uh, uh, you can use pointer event event as detecting pen and touch touch event. So there's you can there's no different. Uh, uh, there's no limitations for the detecting a pen and vertical fingers, but there's a limitation only one in limitation in there. Uh, the web browser the. Do not detect the pen and touch the touch at the same time. So when the pen is on the web, there's only you can detect the touch at the same time. So, yeah, that's it. Next question.
1: Next question from Dave Kaufman in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. It might be confusing for 2D artists to learn feather as their first step into 3D. Do you have some starter tutorials? Go ahead, Jenny.
6: Okay. That's one of the points we actually, um, experience while we are doing like a lot of workshops with 2D artists also. And for them, we have like an offline course also, but also online, we have tutorial videos on YouTube. You could check out. There are two types. One is like a full tutorial of drawing a biplane. You can like follow step by step. But if you feel like that's a bit too fast and you want to go from each feature by feature. You could also get to see the quick guide videos we make by each function. Also, we have a community running and a support page. So you could actually come directly to our team to ask or on the community channel on Discord. You can um, interact with other users also and get tips and learn from them how to use Feather in a better way. And I believe these could help you get through in learning Although you are a two D artist, to learn feather.
0: yeah, and I, I will vouch for the both the YouTube the, the videos are very uh, at times mind blowing. <laughs> like the, there was one about Anakin's engine, uh, you know the, the the pod race engine, and you really just get to see how much detail can be added and mm-hmm. and put together there. That I found very inspiring. And uh, again, the, the videos I would highly recommend checking out the website or and checking out the the YouTube videos specifically, and then. The community resources inside of Discord, I thought, were really good. There were there's users there that are doing pictures that I I still quite haven't figured out how they did that in, in Feather. Um, you know, like I just don't understand the skill set that's required because Mm -hmm. they're just incredibly detailed. Um, so it's really an amazing, amazing set of
6: communities. Yeah, thank you for um actually mentioning about it because I'm as a community manager, I'm actually trying to you know, get the users to share how they're, like, doing the process and their tips more and more. And that's one of my roles here. So that would be much, like, better to share more and everything in the community, actually, in the future.
1: Absolutely. Next question. Coming in from Roscoe Jones in Madison, Indiana, Roscoe asks, is there a way to clean up all those lines to be less blurry and thus more like a CAD drawing? Go June. Oh...
8: Um, I can answer it by showing it myself as drawing. So I'll show you how to draw um, more CAD-ish lines in 3D right now with my iPad. So um, if you tap the pen button once more, then you can see the icon changes a little bit. And if you draw a line, then it automatically um, makes it a little bit smoother than you actually draw like this. But and there's one more way how to control these lines. Um, If you draw the line and wait a little bit moment, then you can like um, pull out the lines and make it a little bit close to straight lines or a little bit less. So this is basically how to control the lines and make it smoother. And also, like you can draw um, circles by just drawing something close to a circle, or all, or also you can wait a little moment and control how big you want to draw the circle by the center. And um, this way, you can actually draw uh, much more smoother lines than just rough and rough lines. But actually, these curves are not like. Nurbs curves, so it's hard to use this as um, edges for modeling. CAD modeling, it's exactly, but you can use still use these lines as guidelines for modeling.
0: And 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 the uh, and that's using the pen tool specifically, as opposed to the paint tool. Yes, yes, it, it's just using the pen tool, and it's we
8: we are calling it just drawing a needly mode. And here's the right. way how to use it. You can change the mode by using the rough lines and then touch one more time and then you can use it as the
0: neat mode. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, good Courtney.
2: So, yeah, I'm just going to ask that about, uh, it creates a spline then if you hold on to the, uh, if you enter that mode where it turns it into an adjustable spline with multi-points that you can adjust the angles on like you just showed. And the other question is, is, uh, are there... uh, um uh geometric shapes that you can bring in like spheres or that are perfectly formed. Uh to graphics primitives that you can choose from and to drop in if you don't want to try and draw a perfect sphere so uh, on. So um I, yeah. Yeah um,
0: I, I can keep on answering. Well, about and, that, and, and, yeah, yeah. Go ahead and, go ahead and um uh are, does it have three D do you have three D primitives to draw on or is it something that you would bring in as OBJs?
8: No, you can um, bring in OBJs, but we don't have, like, um, presets for um, shapes right now.
0: Yeah. And, and are you able to display multiple OBJs at the same time so I could bring in a couple different models and place them and then use them and then draw over top of all of them? Sure, you can put in multiples.
8: Like, um, because of technical limitations, we um, um, limited the uh, um, to two models for
1: now. But we're going to keep on working about that issue. Next question. From Samuel Norvik in Norway Is a pressure sensitive pencil essential for drawing with feather? Good, Q. Um,
7: Yeah. Uh, Pressure sensitive pencil is not essential for now. So the pressure is irrelevant with the stroke. But we are testing the pressure and looking for an option for express the idea and more style to the stroke. Good, Jenny.
8: Okay,
6: um, I think you um, answered everything I wanted to say. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> good. all
1: good. Uh, next question. Craig McFarlane from Boston, Massachusetts, is here for tools and gestures. What parts are completely new approach versus other three D drawing programs? Good, Jenny.
6: All right, I think um, we have been showing um, already. So the way of drawing the 3D guide first and then drawing on top of it, that makes the experience of drawing lines in 3D in a pretty much like a free form would be the very new um, interaction you can get, which is very different with any other tools you can find at the moment in the market. And also the way of viewing with the fingers and drawing with the pen, like this kind of, um, gestures that is separated in this way. And also the joystick I've been mentioning several times, probably for selecting and moving the drawings or transforming, stretching them. Those kind of things could be really different with other 3D softwares you can experience on iPad or on any others, like environments. And actually, I think the drawing with the guide and like drawing on top of it is called multi-view sketching. And that's like the, one of the ways you can get the 3D impor- in 3D informations by the 2D, um 2D um, imports.
7: Go ahead, Q. The technique, though, like as Jenny mentioned, is two... Tooth- to demand two view sketching is like it's already researched in 1990 so we just adapt the technique to the our service yeah so this, the approach is like quite seems new but it's already researched then all the things have done in 1990 right but but
0: you know the key is always the interface so while someone has figured out how to do it figuring out how to do it easily and well is, is a whole nother another problem. Correct. Next (laughs) next question.
1: Kyle Hammond from Chicago, Illinois. Uh, What are the other various ways to export and integrate with other tools and software? Good, Jenny.
6: Um, okay. So one way I think I have already, exp- um, told you about like have getting the OBJ files and GLTF files to other 3D softwares. One other way we discovered from our users, actually, they, um, exported into Nomad Sculpt and used the lines, the 3D mesh they made in with Feather, like a base structure for their, um, sculpting, like 3D sculpting. And also some users get the videos or images out from Feather with the 3D models or drawings they did and bring it to the video editing programs like After Effects or Premiere Pro. Also even like free softwares for video editing. And then they get all like maybe mix it with 2D graphics also. And then they could get a like a poster. Actually, it's like One is behind me. It's a 3D drawing by Feather and then printed out into a poster design, actually. And we have like a moving version of it also. And you could also make videos out of it. So we believe it's um, actually very less limited. It's really up to you on where you want to use it afterwards, like after you do the drawings here. You could also do 3D animations and stuff like that
0: and if you export it out to as an obj is it building a kind of tubes for where all the you know how how, how does it ex, is that is that what it's doing basically extruding along tubes to to generate mm-hmm. that
6: yeah, actually, it might be nice if I can show you like a screenshot or something, but yeah. I don't really have it at the moment, okay. but I will try to explain. So each lines you draw, like you can see in Feather, they are actually 3D polygon meshes. So you can see like the triangle polygons if you get the lines in the imported into 3D softwares. And Maybe it- that helps you imagine how it looks.
0: It does. It does. Absolutely. So it's not sending out like, for instance, a spline with a um, something extruded along it. It's actually building a 3D mesh Mm -hmm, that's going in there. And are you able to, in the export, are you able to control the density of that mesh that goes out?
6: Yeah, after you export it. So at the moment when you export it, we can't really um, optimize it at the moment with Feather yet. Mm -hmm. But if you... Um, get it into another 3D software we, where you are more used to using it. You can like um, adjust it there. Everything. The right. yeah, it's just like the 3D mesh polygon um, data you get as in with different softwares. Makes
0: sense. Um, next question.
1: Douglas Carmichael has a question. How did you get such responsiveness and performance from a web application?
7: Yep. As the computational power break through the limit of the web, uh, in the past, creating the 3D was only possible in the like, desktop and PC. But now we can use by with the web and the mobile device. It's all based on the increased computational power. Yeah, That's how we can do more and more stuff in the web and also do the 3D creation through the web application. Next question.
1: Next question coming in from Craig McFarlane in Boston, Massachusetts. If you didn't mention, how long has it taken to get to the current version?
0: Go, Jenny. We can't hear you.
6: Okay. Oh, sorry. So (laughs) it was taking roughly two to three years. So the company was founded in 2020. The beta version was um, opened on 2021. And then the official release of the app was in 2022, which is pretty uh, recent, actually. It was just last year, November, when we officially released it, also on the App Store and, like, officially.
1: Next question. Kenny Hampton from Greenville, Illinois. Amazing tool. Is Feather sold as a one-time purchase or as a subscription? Good, Jenny.
6: All right, everyone might have been really um, curious about this point. So actually everything is free now. So you don't need to use any money to use anything. So it's free, you could just go to our website and download it and try use it. But we are actually planning for a subscription model. So, but we will keep the essential version free for everyone all the time. So we want to make Everyone can have the access to 3D sketching, but for the people who wants more advanced like importing or exporting um, functions and more um, drawings like unlimited memories and like unlimited exporting and importing, then you might need to pay a bit for the pricing plans we are planning for.
0: How far out do you think the subscription model is?
6: Um, fastest, I think maybe in a year, it might be because we have to also develop like unlimited uses usage and everything. Right. And actually, like we have one more step for like collaborative works for bigger teams, and like collaborative um, drawing and doing stuff like that. But then it has to be the feature first, and then the pricing plans. So it might take a while.
0: That's great. And, you know, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to bring all of you on after I saw it is that it's free. It's something you could use across platform and everyone should just jump in and I think just give it a shot. Um, I do find it took me a little while to get my head around the planes, you know, understanding how I'm going to. And a lot Mm -hmm. of the videos that you have have really helped, um, but but really trying to figure out exactly how that plane works. And I found that the easiest way to do it is just to open it up. Everyone, I open it up at least once a day and just sit there and, you know, fiddle. You know, just like, just try to, you know, and get and have my brain start to get used yeah. to, I'm going to try to draw a little chair. I'm going to try to draw a little like something. I've been playing a lot with the sweeping one, one control uh, surface onto another one and really understanding what it's going to do when, it, when I want, want it to do that. But I, you know, in 15 or 20 minutes a day, I just kind of am slowly understanding how that, how the app works. Um, next question.
1: Jack Rupel in Breckenridge, Colorado, asks: Can you use feather like a, a video pencil to composite in 3D? I think that
0: that, that one might be hard for them to understand. They probably don't know what video pencil is. Video pencil is a is a telestration tool like we use. It uh, does something like this is you know you can draw, but it's just in 2D. Um, you know the over top of video, um, but probably is I don't know how you would do that in in 3D. Go ahead, Jenny. All
6: right. So from what I um just understood it's like a storyboarding or like for animations and those kind of things to use the video pencil. Is it correct?
0: Uh, it is. We use it live. I mean, this is a very similar. I have a different app than, than video pencil, but this is the okay. one that I, that I built. All right. <laughs> or it's like that I work with, with a programmer with. Okay. And so it's just, it's just drawing. It just composites over top of the of video so that we can talk. We can say, oh, I want, you know, I have this. You know, this and I want to put an arrow in and do whatever. We we use it a lot for that that kind of Uh, thing. But it's probably not the same. I don't think think there's a way to do that in
6: 3D. Or like more for like communication.
0: Yeah. Like while you're Uh, talking. Okay. Yeah.
6: All right. So I think for now it's for the drawings and in 3D, but you can definitely, um, you know, share the links and then it would be updated. If you save it, also you could use AR um, functions that also you can share by QR codes to other people. So several people using different devices can get access to different, like get access to the same sketch. So then you can um, see the 3D sketches from different views from each different devices you have and have the same um, scene on it, like the drawing on but still in um, 3D. So that could be helpful.
0: I, I could see a, a place where being able to save those control guides, you know, and have them kind of available inside the model so that if you wanted to go back to them and people could talk and then select one and draw on it and you could mm-hmm. you, you know, it would, it would allow you to keep on going back to things and, and continuing to add to them.
6: Yeah, we actually have like a, Vision for um, using this as a collaborative app, also. Since we are a web based app, it's actually possible to have several people also in one note and um, do collaborative right. um, sketching and stuff. But it's just like um, we just need some more time to develop all the things set it here and stuff. But that's like the way we are actually visioning our tool to be.
1: Next question. Dave Kaufman from Vancouver, British Columbia Canada. you've got a lot of momentum now. What's next for feather?
7: Um, for now we are thinking about the uh, supporting storyboard uh, storyboarder to like see the completion of the different camera And also we are thinking about the uh, like moving and rigging. Add some rigging function to make uh, some animation to with the three D sketch. Uh, all the all the things are like maximizing the value of the three D sketches. So we are now planning to uh, planning and developing the that kind of function to our service. Next question,
1: Douglas Carmichael: Can you export export objects from Feather to make them three D printable? You
7: yeah you can print the uh, like the all the objects made in feather, but for now it's like all the meshes are like complicated and all the there's a lot of meshes and uh like so you need to do some work. Uh, stuff at the like blender or the other 3d 3d program to print as uh like 3D print yeah.
0: So Yeah, it's so it but it, it, it yeah. would print it, but it's it'd be pretty rough, right? It's just not, not yes, a lot. Yes. Of, so you want to smooth it out a little bit before you print it. Yes. Go go, ahead, June.
8: Oh. Oh, I just raised my hand because uh, here's a three D model, actual three D model we um export um printed. It's good. we printed this like well like two or three years ago. So um it's totally possible to 3D print it because we can export it in mesh files. But um, this file, this model, we remeshed it a little bit and make it as smooth as possible to print, 3D print
0: it. Yep. Jenny? Oh,
6: yeah, I just, um... okay. Um, I just wanted to um, add one more thing that as we can um, get the 3D mesh, files already, if you actually draw thick enough and solid enough with our app and you have a lot of knowledge about the 3D printers, then you could actually draw um, with the knowledge of the 3D printers and in the way that works. And then if you export it, you can actually directly um get the 3D printing um, printing out the drawings we did in Feather directly. But it just has to change the file formats, you know, from different apps sections. To for the 3D printer to get it.
1: Next question. Dave Kaufman from Vancouver, British Columbia. I wonder if the people at Feather have new words to describe the process. Go ahead, Jenny.
6: All right, I'm a bit curious of what they see as like a new words to describe, but I guess like the words we use as like 3D guides for the surface you draw on, that's like the word we actually um, kind of wanted to make up and settle it also like maybe using the joystick that's like our own interface names that might be and we do say that this is not a 3d modeling we say 3d sketching or 3d drawing in general for the whole um, process we are doing and that's like some of the words we want to like make the people um, use when they are describing our apps
0: next question
1: Douglas Carmichael, does the Feather version uh, in the App Store use native code or is it just a web app in a native package?
7: Good. Uh, Yep. The Feather version in the App Store uses both the native code code, and also the web application too, because uh, it's better to use the the hardware of the iPad. So we use the, we partially use the, the native code. And also, but all the main things are in the base on the web. So, yeah, it's kind of hybrid application. Yeah, you can call it. Yeah. Uh, Next question.
1: Douglas Carmichael again. Uh, Would you ever think of offering a perpetual license for the Plus and Team versions? Go, Jenny.
6: So we actually have a lot of discussions about the pricing plans at the moment in the team. Also, we are not sure like who would want like in which model and how much we have to make it cost and everything. So we are discussing a lot. But at the moment, I think for small teams, we think subscription might work better. And for enterprises, maybe if they need like a local server support and everything, we might make it. As offering for perpetual licenses for the teams.
0: Good, June.
8: Oh. oh um, never mind. Jenny explained everything <laughs> I wanted to very good talk
5: about. <laughs>
0: Very good. Well, it's it's a really really impressive piece of software. We're really excited about it, and I think that what we're really excited about is, but it's very powerful, but it's also very easy to use. And so, I really wanted to bring you on to to have you show all of this and make sure that we get have people know that it that it exists, that it's out there, um, because it's just really really powerful. So so anyway, we're we're very excited to have you. We may try to Jenny. We may try to get you or or June or or someone to come in and maybe do some labs with us sometime in the future. We'll we'll all get some some iPads and, and web things together and have you um, do a bunch of them with us because we're really excited about, about what you're building. Um, June and Q, Jenny, thank you so much for your time.
6: Thank you so much for inviting us to your show. It was really great.
0: Really, really a pleasure to have you. Uh, we, thank uh, you. And thank you to the, to the, uh, to the panelists. We can't do this without you. Thanks. Thank you to the producers for all those great questions. Keep the conversation rolling. And thank you to the incredible team that helps put all of this together, that edit, edits the show, that, that builds the tools that we need to make the show happen, uh, that manages the show and make sure that we know what we're going to do each day. So, and make sure that everybody's ready to go. Uh, it's just a really, really incredible village that, uh, that we have here. So thank you all for your contribution. Uh, if we had had to, uh, to walk, to do these, to to do these questions, we would have had to travel, uh, 77,000 miles today. That's 124,000 kilometers. And that is, uh, 624 million, I'm sorry. Yeah. 614 million bananas for scale. All right, let's go ahead and jump into after hours.